Indeed, it is Easter, friends. Good morning, First Family. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, Luke 24 is where we're going to be today. We're talking about the risen king of love. He reigns. Now, last week when we talked, we talked about this cross. We said that the penalty that was paid on that cross was not the one that Jesus owed. He didn't owe any penalty at all. So why should he pay the price? Well, according to the word of God, sin has a price. We set those wheels in motion in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, and you might say, well, shame on them. Well, if it made it all the way to me, I'd have messed it up. So don't blame them. But the wheels in motion were set when Adam and Eve sinned. And there had to be a price paid or their death would be immediate. Can I tell you today, friends, Jesus was already foreshadowed in Genesis chapter 3. And all the way through the Old Testament, there was a foretelling, if you will, a sense of there is a better price coming. See, the reality is that sin has a price, and that price is death. You might say, well, that's not fair. Well, there are a lot of things that aren't fair. One of the things we must say, though, is this is what is truth. Death is the price of sin. doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. It just means we better recognize it. So our sin, no matter how small or inconsequential we might think it is, our sin carries with it a penalty, a penalty of death. And we've got two choices. We can pay that price ourselves through our own death and the, the death that we would die that says, I recognize sin and I'm going to die because I've sinned. That's one option. Or, or a better option is somebody else pay it on our behalf. But who would be that nice? Who would be that generous? Because after all, it has to be somebody who's never sinned. Somebody who doesn't know any penalty at all. Who still pays the penalty. I want to tell you today, my friends, that's what Jesus did for you. So when... We get to the end of Luke 23. It looks awful dark. Awful dark. Kind of like when I got here this morning. I get here early on Sunday mornings because I can't stand not to. I get excited about Sunday mornings. Always have. And when I get here in the morning, the sun is still down. But this morning, it was just, the sun was just starting to creep up. And that made me think of Luke 24. Let's stand and read from the word of the Lord, starting in Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed to them an idle tale 
and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, thank you for loving us, for calling us to be yours, for being raised back to life, for paying the penalty for our sins, for being the risen king. Thank you, Jesus. We will spend all of eternity grateful for your action on our behalf. My prayer today, Jesus, is that your spirit would flow through this place today, that you would let it blow through just like it did in Acts chapter 2, and that today we would sense your presence in this place even if we never have before. I pray today, Father, for all of us to know something about you, the risen king that we didn't before. So do your work here now among us, Lord Jesus. We humbly ask it of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. That sunrise I was talking about a moment ago, it was just starting to peak up, just starting to break the edge of the horizon, and it made a real nice picture. You want to go to Facebook and see my picture that I posted there, you can find it. It's an amazing thing, though, to consider that the sunrise is the first part of the day. Can I tell you today when Luke 24 begins, we see a different kind of sunrise that day? You see, the risen king of love, he reigns. That's the sign we posted all over town, those yard signs that we stabbed all over the place. What does it say? It says the risen king. Today we celebrate he's not just any king, he's the king of love. And today we declare without apology that he reigns. He in his glory reigns. And why is that so? Because of what we just read. It started one Sunday morning. See it there again in verse 1. The sunrise reveals the king. Now, you should have seen when I was getting ready to come to you today. I'm sitting at my desk in my word processor, and I type in sunrise just like you see it on the screen with O. You would not believe how that word processor fought me on it. It kept saying, Darren, you have misspelled the word sunrise. No, no, I got it right. Because this sunrise was not like any other. Now, if it was just a normal day, then S-U-N would be fine. But this is no ordinary day. See, this sunrise, this sunrise revealed something. Have you ever, maybe not at your house, but... <clears throat> have you ever discovered that somebody left some Lego on the floor with your feet in the dark? Has that ever happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you do, let it be glory to God because he made Lego. Let's just praise the Lord together, shall we? Let me just tell you, if you find something in the dark with your feet or most especially with your toes, then you know the power of sunlight, don't you? We were made to be in the sunlight. We can manage the dark, but we were made to be in the sunlight. Can I tell you today, my friends, when we see this sunrise revealing the king, we must recognize that this sunrise begins a new day. The dark at the end of Luke 23 has never been darker. Satan believes he is one. Death stands supremely over it all. If the king can fall, then no one is safe king was down, laid in the tomb, 
down, done in by the cruelty of humanity and the enmity of Satan. Down. Satan's confidence must have been at an all-time high. Down. The spirits of the disciples hiding as they wondered in their confusion what happens now. I want you to see verse 1 again. A new day dawns. Friends, that is not a chronological statement. It's a seismic shift. It denotes a change of eras and a new day that dawns with it to reveal it. Can I tell you today, my friends, the king lives. And that sunrise is not so he will know he lives, but so we will. That stone that's rolled away, it is not so Jesus can get out. It is so we can get in and see that he's not there. I chose to read to you to verse 12. And the reason I did so is because I wanted you to see verse 10. The ladies that were honored to be the first that heard Jesus was raised. And verse 12, Peter, the impetuous one, running in to see in John's account of this same story, our friend John is there too. Can I tell you today, my friends, their journey would never be the same because of this sunrise. I wonder about you. All of us have had days that are bigger than others. All of us have had days that are remarkable. And all of us have had days that cause us to say, I, if I had known that day, this day was going to be this kind of day I would have prepared differently. I want to tell you, this day is not one they expected, and yet it's just the one the Lord planned. And that brings me to the thing I want you to take home with you right off the bat. Living in the sunrise means leaving the dark. We have a lot of people, they want to live in the sunrise of the glory of the king, but they want to keep their dark corner so they can hide what they're doing. They want to keep their dark corner. No, see, here's the deal. No matter how small the light is, it will overwhelm the darkness. If I'm going to live in the sunrise, I've got to leave the dark behind. Friends, if you're here today at you're one who just wants to stick your toe in the pool of Christianity just enough to keep yourself out of hell but not enough to really be a Jesus fanatic, then jump on in the other side and join me in being a Jesus fanatic because let me tell you, living in the sunrise has no comparison. You might say, well, I, I, I don't want to be a pastor. God bless you. I, I appreciate that. That leaves more work for me. But, and we'll pray against that for you. I didn't want this job either. But the Lord brought me to it. And I'm glad he did. Let me just make sure you understand that part. I'm glad he did because I wouldn't trade it. Because living in the sunrise means leaving the dark behind. I encourage you today to recognize if you're going to walk with Jesus in the sunrise that he made you to have, you're going to have to abandon the darkness behind you. Let's move on quickly. The risen king overcame death. You know, I don't know how many funerals I've done. Couldn't begin to tell you. I've estimated it a few times, but it doesn't really matter. All of them have one thing in common. In all those funerals that I've done, not once, not once, has the guest of honor showed up to his own funeral. You might say, that'd be pretty scary if they did. I agree. But I want to tell you today, this was not what they were expecting. See it again in verse 6. He's not here. He's risen. 
this, this was not what they were expecting. I want to tell you today, everyone's expectations were that death had won. They expected wrong. Don't limit the king, friends. Don't limit the king. When I limit the king, it means I've built him a box and I've said, this is your box, Jesus. Stay inside of it. My expectations look like this. It's they're this wide, they're this long, they're this deep. Stay inside that box, Jesus. This is the box I built for you. My expectations are that you'll do things in my way. And indeed, we'll see that in just a moment when we move later in the chapter. They thought Jesus would do one thing. But could it be that the king of love had something else in mind altogether? When they entered the tomb, they did so to find Jesus was not there. The dazzling strangers they did find said, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen, just like he told you he would. It reminded them of something the king had promised, and let's be clear, the king is alive. If he's dead, then there's no hope for any of us. If he's dead, then the cross doesn't mean anything. If he's dead, life, all of our lives, is just a meaningless charade and there's no remedy to it. If he's dead, then we are all lost. But if he's alive, if he's alive, then this cross is the only thing that matters. If he's alive, it means he has not just some authority, but all authority, friends. Absolute sovereignty over not only life, but death too. Oh, friends, it means that death no longer has a hold on me. I can live in the freedom that is because the king of love has overcome it. When we see a ball game and there's a winner and a loser, it's easy for us to say, well, we, we conquered them if you're on the winning side. We conquered them. We need not fear them anymore. This is how Jesus feels about death. We conquered them. And why is that so? Because the king of love is stronger than death. Friends, this is good news today. King of love is stronger than death. Let's be clear, death was never the original plan. I don't believe that was what God had in mind when Adam and Eve were created. Why then did it come? Because of sin. We made the choice to sell ourselves down that river. And yet even in our brokenness, even in our deathly ways, God made a way. All because he loves us. It means then this. His love is stronger than the death we had brought upon ourselves. Let me say that one more time. This means then that his love is stronger than death we brought upon ourselves. A lot of times we talk about love, we only mean it between each other. But when we speak of God's love for us, we must change categories. It is God's love that is stronger than anything we can come up with. That brings us to hope. Love brings us to hope. The promised fulfillment of all that is in the Old Testament, everything that God ever said is brought to fruition because of the love that he has shown to us. The cross then 
that looked like an end was indeed an end, but not the one that Satan and his minions expected. It was the front end. Death, then, is overcome by the king of love. I want you to take home a couple of things with you. One, I want you to write this down because it's important that you remember that death holds no power over the king of life. Even if you don't write down anything else, would you just write that down? Because let me tell you, I hate death. I hate that it steals from us. I hate that it shows up unexpected. I hate that it takes people. I hate death. But that's what makes the king of life so powerful is that death holds no fear for him. And for those of us in Christ, it shouldn't for us either. Let's move to this other part. Living in the love of the king brings life even to our darkest moments. We've known some dark moments, haven't we? But when we get to those dark moments, then we must come to terms with the same thing that two apostles did later in this same chapter. You jump on down to verse 13, then you'll find a story, one that is familiar to those of us who read the New Testament often, and I hope that's you. It's a story about two disciples, Cleopas and his friend, who are on their way home from Jerusalem. They live in Emmaus, and they're walking down the road. Their expectation about what God was going to do and about who Jesus was had been thoroughly shattered. But could it be that the king may look differently than you expected? And he opens their eyes. He opens our eyes. Let's pick it up in verse 13. That very day, the same day that Jesus was raised, they were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You might underline that. That's kind of important. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And he said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. The man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. I want to tell you a little story that maybe helps get this point across. My friend David, he's a retired pastor in East Texas, but he pastored a, a, a big church in Tyler. And my friend David was a rather well-known individual, and I'll tell you, he was shopping with his wife one day, so you know he's a really good guy too. He was shopping at the mall with his wife, and he's standing there waiting for her, and this, this man is looking at him kind of strangely. The man walks over to him, and he said, has, has anybody ever told you you look a lot like David, the pastor of that church, that big church down the street? David smiled and said, I get that all the time. And the man looked at him with full confidence and said, but you can't be him. You're not nearly tall enough. 
Well, if that man had known that really was David, maybe he would have had some more questions. Maybe he would have considered that differently. Maybe he would have thought differently. Maybe he would have at least seen him differently, you know? Could it be then that what happened to the disciples here isn't so unusual after all? Sometimes we miss Jesus because we're looking in the wrong way. Let's start here. Seeing Jesus means using spiritual eyes. These disciples, they were faced with the the crushing reality that their expectations weren't going to happen. Things that happened differently than they expected and they weren't happy about it. We thought, see it in verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one. Yeah, we'd hoped, but now things seem to be different. I want to, I want to, take you down a little bit further when Jesus reveals himself to them it is not their eyes that he changes it is not his appearance that he changes it is their hearts friends it is their hearts that Jesus changes Jesus changed their hearts not their eyes you see when Jesus revealed himself their vision didn't get any better he didn't correct their sight They saw him just as he had before in a physical sense. What changed was on the inside. The blinders had been removed. And they could see him in all of his glory. And let's be clear, friends. When we see Jesus for who he really is, it changes all of us. They said it well. Didn't our hearts burn within us? (laughs) And now they couldn't help but see Jesus. Before, they had just been seeing using their physical eyes. They had just been using those anatomical processes and the neurological waves that come from them, letting those light waves bounce off their eyeballs and and catch things and, and process them in the database they built. But what Jesus wanted them to do was look. He wanted them to look see who he really was. I want to ask you, friends, are you looking or are you seeing? I mean for Jesus. If you're looking, then you'll see him everywhere. But if you're seeing, then you'll keep him confined. You'll keep him boxed in because he's safer that way. Let's conclude with this. Now what do we do about this? So the risen king of love reigns, dear, and so what? What am I supposed to do about it? Here's what you're supposed to do. Let the risen king's love reign in you. This is where it goes from being somewhere way out there to being right in here. You have to switch books with me if you want to see this. Flip a few pages to your right if you're still in Luke, and you'll get to John, John chapter 13. And to get there, then you have to go back a couple of days to when Jesus is meeting with his disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus is giving them final instructions, sort of like a pep talk before the game begins. He's going to push them out the door, but before he does, he wants them to have their marching orders. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is going to tell them exactly who to be. Now, I want you to get this. It's not what to do. Doing is too easy. Doing, you can fake. 
You can fool lots of people with just doing. Jesus doesn't want doers. He wants beers. Those who be. Now you might say, well, that's really bad grammar. I know it. But it's really good theology. Because what Jesus wants is more than just doing. In John 13, verse 34 and 35, this is what Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. What does it mean? It means this. Live and love like your king is risen. If you're a Christian today, if you're one who names the name of Christ and calls yourself with the identifying marker of Jesus as your Lord, then let the risen king of love speak and flow through you. Be like Christ. Don't do Christian things. Be like Christ. Those are two very different things. The Greek word that is used here is disciple, one who is like the master, one who comes along beside him and imitates him. How do we then love like Jesus loved us? Selflessly, sacrificially, mercifully. We offer them the kindness that they have offered to, that Jesus has offered to us. It means we learn from him and we walk with him each and every step of the way. To be a disciple is a lifelong process. It is becoming more and more like Jesus day by day. Let's conclude with this. The love of the risen king shines through those who are his. People won't believe what we say because we say it. People won't believe what we say because we do it. They will believe what we say when we be it. That's the last thing. Invite the risen king to live within you. I want to encourage you just to be still for a moment. I know there's a lot of things and I know we're at the end and everybody's ready to go. I promise we're nearly done. But I would ask of you to hang in there with me just a moment more. Because this is the most important thing you will hear today. Jesus Christ came for you. He came to buy your freedom from sin. He came to liberate you. My question for you is what have you done with his coming? What about the risen king of love? Is he your king? Or just a king? If you'd say, well, he's, an a, he's a king, Darren, he's not mine, then I want to encourage you, call on him today. How do I do that, Darren? Oh, it's not hard. Admit that you need a king, first of all, and that Jesus came to be your king. He came for you. Knowing all that you know about yourself, he still came for you. And he came to buy your freedom. Well, I didn't ask him to, Darren. Well, good thing you didn't wait for an invitation. He came for you. Jesus came to make you free. Not in a political sense, but in a spiritual one. He came to give you life. If you've never taken him up on that, then here's what I want you to do. In just a second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. 
come right down here and talk with me or my staff about what you are hearing from the Lord. You might say, well, I don't even know. I just have questions. Then come talk to us about that. Maybe you need to be baptized like my friend Samuel. You know what? The water's still warm. We can do it today. Or we can schedule it. It is the very first step of Christian obedience. You might say, well, it's been a long time since I was saved, Darren. It'd be embarrassing. Let me tell you about my friend Thomas. Thomas got saved when he was 12 years old. When he was 72, 60 years later, he came to my office and said, it's time for me to make this right, Darren. Can you baptize me? You betcha. See, the risen king, he doesn't care about chronology. chronology. What he cares about is you. Maybe you need to be a part of this church. Come down and talk with us about how you can join this church. Maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer. Not for yourself, but for something you know about. This is your opportunity. My prayer is that you will use it by engaging with the risen king of love. Pray with me, won't you? So Jesus, today, we, your people, those gathered here today, declare our love for you and our desire to be not just do. I pray today you would help us to see you like the disciples on the road to Emmaus did. I pray that you would open our eyes the way you opened theirs, that you would set our hearts ablaze the way you did theirs, and that you, Jesus, now here among us in this moment would sweep through this building like you did in Acts 2, and that the wind of your spirit would sweep all of us up and that you, Lord Jesus, would set this place ablaze spiritually. I pray for those who are right now struggling, that Satan is trying to steal their attention away, is calling their minds somewhere else. And Lord Jesus, I pray that right now you would raise your banner of love over this place and over each of our lives. Will you do your work in us now, Lord, right here? And will you, Lord, because of who you are, Show your love in each of our lives. We are grateful, Jesus, for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.